Welcome listeners to Sleep, Eat, Perform and Repeat. This is a podcast on high performance. It will be presented by myself, David Clancy, and my two co-hosts, Connor Gavin and Kieran Dunn. What we're striving to achieve here is figure out what makes high-performing individuals tick, why they do what they do, and why are they successful. Rate and review, share with your friends, but most importantly, enjoy. Welcome listeners to another episode of Sleepy Perform Repeat, episode number 43. Today we spoke to Paul Curry, the commercial manager at McNulty Performance, RTE TV and radio analyst, and the former professional footballer for clubs such as Shamrock Rovers, Sheffield Wednesday and UCD AFC, where Paul was a student athlete. This was a very varied interview with many aspects of performance discussed. Listen to Paul shed light on the challenges of rehabbing away from the pitch physically and mentally. Paul really opened up here, which we are so grateful for. The mental burden and uncertainty of the next steps for a pro footballer can be tough. This is that story. Paul gives himself sports psychology advice now for a younger self, such as goal setting, habit forging and building. Paul explains the importance of getting an education, especially for those footballers who are striving to make it at the highest level. In fact, a plan for post football or football doesn't quite work out is key. A strong education foundation has helped Paul massively in his post-football career. There was so much to take away from this episode. Key themes were driven such as culture, sustainable leadership, adaptability, mindset and perseverance. If you'd like more information on this episode or any of our others, check out our website at www.sleepyperformrepeat.com. Please subscribe, share, rate and review. But most importantly, listen and enjoy. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat. Today, we are speaking with Paul Carrier, uh, athlete and a man of many talents. David, I'll hand over to you to give the introduction. A man of many talents, for sure. Paul, you know, we met each other a long time ago at UCD and you've really gone on to blossom into a very varied career. So fair play. You're working with McNulty Performance, commercial manager. You're also an RTE, you work as an analyst, punditry, but obviously we're very much interested in hearing how your football experience, having been a high-level professional for a lot of different clubs in Ireland and England, has shed light on the rest of your career and how you're still growing and evolving. So, so Paul, thanks for coming in today. How's life? What are you up to today? Life is good. Um, very busy and at McNulty Performance at the moment. I'm actually off as of tomorrow so I'm looking forward to getting recharged getting the feet up and get going again then for the uh, second half of the year but life is good I, as you said I'm I'm still heavily involved in sport um, working with the likes of RTE and air sport and coaching as well so it's a part of my life that will probably never leave me um, I'm just still trying to find that balance with regards to balancing the corporate and the work and the sport um, and seeing where that takes me at the moment. And talk to us a little bit about how you came to this point in your career. What happened with football? Yeah, so initially I started off at UCD, like you mentioned. I did a a sports scholarship um, to Commerce for three years. And then I was lucky that at the end of the three years, I'd racked up over 100 games at UCD and signed for Sheffield Wednesday. So I got a three-year deal there. First year, couldn't have gone any better. Uh, made my league debut against Leeds live on Sky Sports in front of 35,000 people bearing in mind that was coming from probably six weeks ago 
or six weeks prior playing uh, against Derry City in front of maybe 900 people. Mm-hmm. Um, one man of the match played beside Ross Barkley in midfield, a team that contained Mikhail Antonio, Chris Kirkland, who used to play for Liverpool, Anthony Gardner, who was at uh, Tottenham, Jay Boothroyd. So a good, good side. Um, and I was blossoming. It couldn't have been going any better for me. Uh, come second year, third year, completely out of favour. Manager didn't really want to know me, didn't want me involved in the squad, wanted to shift me out, wanted to free up some wages to bring in a centre forward and I was very much not in his plans. Um, one or two loan signings that were actually turned down and I wasn't out leave and mentally found that very, very difficult. Came back, back to Ireland, released from my contract after three years, um, change of agent, went over to Northampton, signed for Northampton. Um, was only there probably five, six weeks Situation in training and debut. No, I wasn't blessed with pace, mm-hmm. and we were doing a one v one midfielders and attackers against defenders. And I remember I was up against probably the best defender in the in the team, and I was thinking, okay, I'm going to have to do something here to maneuver the ball or to deceive the defender and, and get past them. And I had the ball on the outside of my left foot, and whatever I've done, I've never seen it back, nor do I want to see it back, but. I changed direction quickly as I was saying football I chopped the defender from the outside into the inside and whatever way my knee has has gone I've hyperextended my knee on the outside of my ankle I've heard a massive crack and then the surgeon said to me your body's natural reaction is to send it back the other way and I've heard another big crack Um, and to make a long story short I rehabbed that for 15 months signed for Shamrock Rovers and never got back playing again so can you give uh, the actual diagnosis for anyone who might be interested in what you actually injured? Well, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but um, I'm not a medical type guy, but I had a rupture of the LCL, rupture of the ACL, grade three of the MCL, and then severe damage about my cartilage and meniscus. And I think the base of my hamstring, what would I call that? Is it, it begins with a P? Popliteus. yeah. I had, I had big problems with that too. So you hurt your posterior lateral corner, which would be, for most people, a career-ending injury. You know, it's a pretty severe injury. Mm, it's I, hard to come back from that. Like, I, I'd only been at the club six weeks, as I said, and I was worried when I hit the deck. Mm. I was thinking, don't cry, because yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm here and I don't know what's gone wrong here. And if I haven't done something serious to my knee, these lads are going to be thinking, who is this fella that we're after signing? Yeah. But I, it was as if somebody had got a knife and stabbed me 10, 15 times. And the pain was just coming and going and coming. And I just remember one of the lads standing over me and saying, just breathe, try to get your breath. And only they had, um, you know, a numbing gas. I yeah. think I probably would have passed out with the pain. It was that bad. So you... Yeah. It sounds sounds pretty bad. So obviously, like you had a like you said, fifteen month rehab period. What was the the biggest challenge during that? Was it physical, mental? What what did you find most challenging about that period, or was it a combination of everything? Yeah, a combination of everything, but probably the isolation um, and the mental side of things because the club were going incredibly well at the time. They actually ended up winning League Two by a record number of points, and not being able to be a part of that and feeling as if. You know, you're working alone at Northampton, the training ground and the gym were in separate locations. So I was very much working in isolation. Nobody else got injured. I mean, nobody else got injured during my nine months on the sidelines. And the repetition of coming in and doing pretty much the same thing every single day was mind numbing, I found. Um, And I was on a one year contract. So 
mentally that was very difficult. I was weighing up where the club were and they were going to get promoted into League One. I'd only played the cuts of three, four games. I'd done well in training, but had I done enough to warrant another contract, I was in limbo. I was my agent was in touch with the with the club. The club actually went through administration just as I uh, went for my operation and knee operations. My surgeon was Andy Williams, who was the top guy, aren't cheap. I know the insurance covered it, but I think they only covered them one night stay in the hospital. And the hospital in London is the... 40th clinic. Yeah, the, I think the hospital is not the boop of Cromwell, but one of the hospitals in Fulham, which is expensive. Yeah. The club couldn't wait to get me out because it was it was the goods of two and a half, three grand a night to stay there. Yeah. The club ended up getting taken over and, and they were financially okay. But... um. Just that mental burden of not knowing in football where your next contract is, where your next move is. Am I going to be back in Ireland? Am I going to be in the UK? How do I plan? Am I going to be able to buy a house in the next two, three years? Am I financially stable? That whole uncertainty absolutely killed me. Yeah. Um, and I know that was something that probably weighed heavily on my family as well because I was away from my family and friends. Um, I was living over there at the time with my girlfriend. You feel everything. And I was used to being at UCD whereby... I had my studies as a backup and, and my studies as a, as a distraction whereby my rehab, getting back fit, trying to get another contract, I had literally just absorbed my life. Yeah, all right. Okay, so, and you've gone on, now you're obviously working in high performance and you deal with a lot of sports psych. Is there anything, any advice you would give yourself now uh, at the time of the injury that you're like, if I had, had known that technique or if I had known this, it would have made things a lot easier for me? Mm. Probably goal setting is the the one thing that I would, on reflection, probably would have liked to have done a bit more because I think when you see the progress and you hit your little targets, it's just a little momentum gain. Um, it gives you, it's a boost in confidence and it's nice to see, okay, this is where I was six weeks ago and this is where I am now. These are the, the mini goals and the mini wins I've had. And I think that helps you because often it can become a bit of a blur and you can feel as if, God, I've been doing the same old, you know, exercise for six seven weeks or i made a really quick gain at the start and then you know yourself the rehab process it seems to become very very slow then for three four months of you know being able to walk again to being able to jog to okay i have to wait six months until i'm able to run getting on a pitch Mm. i I think that was difficult and i think if i just had mini goals or if i'd help somebody sit me down and say okay let's put together a little performance plan for the next six to eight weeks. This will help you. And if we hit these little targets, you can have X amount of days off or you can go back home and you can recharge and reboot and get going again. But it's easy to say that these things or say these things now. Um, I just found very, very difficult. And I know many people do, but I think with the, the added stress of the contract and, and not knowing where I was going from there, that really, really hurt me or found it very difficult anyway to manage. And how did you transition from becoming a player that had to then retire into your next career stage? Was there something that you did at the age of 15 or 16 and you said, oh, I'm kind of interested in that alongside football? Um, no, not really. I had met with a number of, uh, recruiters, not not a number one recruiter, in my last few months at Shamrock Rovers, because I knew and the club knew that I was going to pack it in. So I was fortunate in the sense that I had my degree behind me, and I knew, like I didn't have a choice. I knew I was going to have to get on with my life and and start something new and find something that I like. So I had one or two offers. I had one offer from one of the big 
global tech firms and another one from an Irish bank. And the problem I had with both of them was that it was pigeonholing me straight away to a certain um, element of business. And with me, I didn't know because I'd never experienced a day in work before which one of those I wanted to go in. I'm from a family of accountants and that was the one that I knew I could cross off the list because I was definitely not going to be an accountant because I'm a people person. I need to be around people. I can't sit behind a desk for too long. Being involved in sport, you're used to that camaraderie or the banter of the dressing room, as they say. I have to be doing something with, with people. So it came about Andrew Doyle, who now owns Shelburne, contacted me after a podcast I did and he said, listen, I'd like to sit down with you. He was looking at setting up a, a football agency um, with Michael Kennedy, who was ex-Roy Keane. Yeah. looked after him. So I said, yeah, that sounds good. It's probably something I'll do part-time. And he said, okay, well, in the meantime, I can mentor you. Can I, I can try to point you in the right direction of yeah. where it is you might want to go. So he actually knew Ender McNulton. He said, he introduced me to Ender and Ender said he'd give me a flavor for everything over three months in the business on almost an internship basis mm-hmm. um, and I grafted I worked hard for bearing in mind I was taking a massive cut in, sal- cut in salary from what I would have been earning particularly at Sheffield Wednesday um, but I enjoyed it I, I enjoyed what Endo spoke about and I enjoyed his um, his hands on approach with me and giving me feedback and giving me guidance and helping me and exposing me to major clients you're talking the likes of Amazon, I was in London, I was in Tokyo within the first six weeks of the job and I had no experience previous. So that that led me in and I, I figured then after probably about three weeks that I had a flair for sales and I enjoyed sales and I probably the one segment of business that's most relatable to, to sport because you get that adrenaline rush, you, you meet people, you have that win of, of yeah. you know, attaining a sale and I got to work with people within McNulty Performance who were like-minded to me, and that's that's just how I found myself in, in my current role. And what did you find appealing about McNulty? What were you trying to sell that drew you in, really, as a former professional footballer? Probably the whole ethos of trying to unlock people's potential. Um, you know, I, I really do enjoy working with people, and I like to to feel as if, if I'm going to sell something, I'm going to sell something that's actually going to help people with their own performance. Um, you know, whether that's me going back and coaching under 14s teams at Belvedere, helping the the next generation, I guess, to to unlock their potential and, and try get as far as they did in their career. Because I look back like anybody does, and I look back and I say, I made mistakes. You know, I should have worked harder in the gym or my body fat should have been lower. I should have been lowering my legs up that I was quicker over five yards. Because the technical and tactical part of the game probably came quite easy to me. Yeah. If I had really I'm not saying I should have but I probably could have done most people reflect and say I could have done more if I could transition into a company I'm working with an individual that helps people to unlock their own performance well then that's something that would appeal to me you know I'm not selling something that I don't feel has benefits for for the person who's attaining it if I can help people unlock that potential then that would it would be a win-win situation we're trying to help people become their best self yeah, absolutely. And whether that's going to be in in sport, whether it's going to be in corporate, I'm, I'm not too bothered. Or whether it's going to be a young professional or a young person who's stepping out of school into, into their next career. Um, you know, I think there's value in that. Okay. So if we go back to uh, the performance side of things, this is one thing I'm interested in. You've been through kind of the... You've been through a lot in terms of your career that most kind of young athletes or even just working professionals will have been through. Obviously, say... 
uh, with the injury and then like you said you had a two-year period where you just couldn't get into the team um we spoke to a guy recently jake hutchison he was talking about this being in a hole and adapt and overcome do you think what do you think you could have done differently to try and force the manager's hand to get you in that to get you into the team or could you have done anything differently I don't think so. The manager at the time was Dave Jones at Sheffield Wednesday. And the problem that I had is that once he had made his mind up on me that I wasn't playing, yeah. I was pretty dust, as you'd say. When Dave Jones got sacked while I was there, his number two took over. So there was never a change in regime. There was never a fresh start for me. Yeah. In hindsight, what would I have done? I probably would have ripped my contract up after the second year at Sheffield Wednesday and say pay me up, pay me half of my salary that I'm due for next year and let me go or pay me a third of my salary and let me go play because the only way you progress and the only way you learn in football is by playing games and that's the only way people get to see it. It's the only way you really progress. You learn from your mistakes. You're able to see it back on a television screen. You're not looking at training sessions and saying, God, he was great in training. It's very often, it's very hard to shift somebody's mindset or shift somebody's perspective once they've made up their decision that you're not going to fit in their system. Yeah. And I probably should have been a bit more forceful. Um, I was a young Irish kid going over, not used to the full-time setup of, of cutthroat English football. Yeah. I should have been on that manager's door saying, if I'm not going to play, let me go. Now you could turn around and say I was working with a very experienced agent who'd been involved in that game for 20, 30 years somebody who I've lost complete respect for um, some of the things that I was promised and some of the things that I was told you wouldn't believe and um, you know I'd go as far as saying a dirty agent and that's antics that have have taken place outside of football I won't you know talk about people's names I'd never do that I have too much respect for myself to do that sort of thing but I should have been guided better yeah and um, and that's one thing that I probably don't miss from football is the fact that there's very little guidance, there's very little support. It's very much, you know, you, you row your own boat and you get on with things. Whereas I needed that support. I wasn't that, um, you know, ballsy type character who's going to go slamming on manager's doors. I needed somebody to put their arm around me and look after me and say, okay, this isn't working. Let's guide you to the next move. I probably didn't have that guidance from an agent point of view or from a coaching perspective at Sheffield Wednesday. Um personally then what could I have done different I probably you know when I wasn't in the team there's probably areas of my game that I could have worked on a little harder because I wasn't playing on a Saturday I, I didn't have to really think of recovering after games because I wasn't playing games I could have probably loaded my week up heavier in the gym or I, I probably could have done little bits and pieces I probably well, I know looking back now I wish I had gone to a sports psychologist yeah. I wish I'd had somebody mentor me in that way because confidence was something I was really struggling with at that time. Because yeah. when somebody tells you you're not good enough, whether they're telling you that or whether they're showing you that by not playing you, that can really affect you. And confidence in sport is absolutely everything. Yeah. So maybe those two things, if I'd loaded myself up in the gym a bit more, if I'd been a bit more demanding on the manager and if I'd gone to the sports like maybe those things might have helped me while I was at Sheffield Wednesday in particular. So you've used a should an awful lot in this interview, and I've been told by many people that should is a really bad word. Mm. If you had a young player, say Belvedere, aspiring 14, 15 year old that wants to make it, you know, mm. wants to get across the pond to England, and you could write on a sheet of paper a little bit of advice for that young kid, because you're coaching, you obviously love and you're passionate about it. What would you tell him? What advice would you give that young kid trying to make it to that level? We have down at my team at Belvedere a number of kids who are wanted by teams in the UK and my advice to the folks or the parents is that 
get your education done as quick as you po- as possibly can in Ireland. Whether that means skipping fourth year, doing fifth year, and then say come sixth year, a team wants to sign you, can you put a structure in place whereby you're getting tutored in your sixth year and you finish your leaving cert? Because the worst thing you can do as a young football over here is put all your eggs into the one basket with football because it is so cutthroat. The percentages of players going over, particularly like the 16, 17, is minimal with regards to being successful and making it. You know, what is success? Is success playing 10, 20 first-team games for a Sheffield Wednesday earning good money for two, three years? It's not sustainable. It's not going to set you up for life. You have to have a backup plan. You have to have a distraction away from sport. And I think that's really important. I think having a distraction whereby you can escape the bubble that is football, I think that's vitally important. I think having something and a plan in place for when you finish football is vitally important. And I think then saying no to the things that aren't driven towards your goal is vitally important, particularly at a young age. Have you got mates at 17, 18 who are going out drinking and you're being part of that? Well, if you're being part of that and you, you want to do that and you're in your early teens, well then professional sport probably isn't for you. Know what it is you want and be laser-like focused and going after it. Yeah, very good. If we have um, a couple of different traits that you would you would prioritise as a coach now for the, the age group that you're coaching, which, what order of importance would you give them? So if we have psychological, physical, tactical, do you have a preference or do you think you should be equally well-rounded in all three? Or is it an individual case by case? It probably varies. I think if you haven't got the tactical or technical competencies, you're never going to get to the top. Yeah. Um, I think when you get then to, say, Premier League or Championship level, what you find is everybody is capable of kicking a ball well. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have a good touch. Um, people have a baseline understanding of how the game is to be played. And then it's those little two, three percentages that you're looking for. I think the ones who are mentally very strong, put themselves in a better position. You come across some players, and this is probably probably a harsh way of putting it, but they wouldn't be the most intelligent. Yeah. And they actually don't realise what they're doing half the time when they make a mistake. And they actually don't, they're not too bothered about making mistakes because yeah. they're not thinking about it. Yeah. They often go further than somebody who's so intelligent that they get caught up in the game and they start thinking too much about it and then they actually go into a shell. The ones who aren't thinking about it are able to express themselves a bit more. So I think if you have somebody who's mentally strong or maybe who doesn't, I wouldn't say care about the game, but doesn't get so caught up in the game, is able yeah. to forget about the game afterwards. They're the ones, and they're the ones that you're probably looking at and saying, okay, I can put him in because irrespective of this is um, a nothing game or a Champions League final, I know when I put them out there that they're going to express themselves and they're going to be able to perform. They're going to be able to play. More I think fierce. that's... Exactly, fearless. I think that's really important. I think when you look then um, at somebody who is psychologically tuned in with regards to living like a pro, being a pro, not out in nightclubs on a Saturday before a Tuesday game, somebody who has that dedicated lifestyle that, no, okay, this is my career for the next 12 to 15 years. I'm going to do absolutely everything I can in regards to extracting every bit of potential I have. And whether that means that they're financially driven, it doesn't matter what they're driven by. As long as they're driven by something that they're going to be the best professional they can be over those 15 years, I think they're the ones who have sustained success. Because somebody said it to me when I was in the UK, and it's, you know, um, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Yeah. And I've never heard a truer statement. There are so many players that I've played with, whether that's underage in Ireland, whether that be in the UK, whereby... 
endless amounts of talent, you know, can do unbelievable things with the ball, but just aren't dedicated enough to the sport and they fall out of the game yeah. by the age of 22, 23. And it's sad. It really is sad. But sometimes they haven't either got the dedication or they haven't got the support structure around them. And I think if you can look at somebody as a manager or as a coach and say, I know when it comes to three o'clock on a Saturday, he's going to perform. I think that's an unbelievable skill to have. Yeah. yeah. If someone looked up Paul Curry in the dictionary, what's the kind of identity you'd like to depict yourself as? Uh, honesty is something that I was probably brought up with family values and, you know, they're accountants by nature. They're, they're not going to try spoof you. And I think that's something... Um, that I would like to associate with myself probably too honest at times for football um, but somebody who's honest and someone who can give you honest advice and and I can look somebody across in the eye and I can say you know I meant that or I guided you as best I could um, talented I think as a sports person you always want to be associated as talented I think that was probably the best part of my game was was my ability to open up defences or ability to dictate the tempo of the game from a, from a midfield position. Um, and listen, we're, we're sports people, we all have egos. <laughs> I don't think you ever lose that. Um, and I would, I've, my career wasn't long, my career wasn't what I wanted it to amount to be. Um, but I'd still like to think that if somebody was to think back of Paul Kyrie as a player, I'd like to think that they would think that I was a talented player. I think they're probably two two of the most important things to me. It sounds quite ego driven to say talented, but um, you know, it's probably something that that I would like to stay with me. Mm. What's your definition of high performance? Good question. <laughs> um, high performance individual or high performance environment? Both. We'd like both from you. Yeah. yeah. High performance individual, I think, is somebody, like I, I would have repeated, is somebody who dedicates themselves to their talent or to whatever their goal is and somebody who really drives to to perform at their optimal, what I would say differently is on a consistent basis. I think a high performer is somebody who can do it consistently at the top for a sustained period of time. I think when you're looking down at a high performance environment, I think it's you're you're looking at having driven individuals, a well gelled team and a culture whereby people are able to express themselves, make mistakes and grow. And I think that's vitally important. I think when you start putting people into an environment where there there's a fear of failure, I don't think you see progress. I think if you're looking at the likes of a Pep Guardiola or if you're looking at the likes of a Dundalk here in the League of Ireland, I think there is a culture whereby people can go out and they can express themselves. Because if you're going to ask people to play from the back and if you're going to ask your centre-house to get on the ball outside their own 18-yard box and you're going to ask your midfielders to make angles and you're going to make the pitch as big as you can, naturally enough, mistakes are going to come. And if you're not willing to let people make mistakes, well, then you may as well cut off half the pitch, squeeze up as high as you can and boot the ball as far as you can. Yeah. I think if you're talking about a high performance environment, you have to have one whereby the manager's empowering the players to go out and express themselves and make mistakes. Perfect. You're in a game or a coaching scenario, something hasn't gone according to plan. How do you reset yourself? <laughs> Regain the edge. There you go. As, as a player, what I used to do and what I used to try to do is 
because so much of my game is about getting on the ball, if I give them the ball all the way three or four times, I would look for those mini wins. So even if that was a five-yard pass, to complete, try get my percentages back up, try feel myself back into the game. That was that was huge for me, um, just mentally more so than anything, because it started to breathe a bit of confidence. I'd say, okay, five-yard pass complete. Can I get a 20-yard pass or a 10-yard pass? Can I then progress onto a 20-yard pass? Can I start playing forward as opposed to backwards and sideways? Yeah. They were the little wins because I knew what my game was about. Um, I knew what it is I had to do in order to, to perform well. So if things weren't going well, if I was mishitting or if my radar was off, I used to then try to come back to basics. Yeah. And if I could get basics done well, well then that would give my foundation to then try progress to doing something maybe a bit more elaborate or a bit more um, constructive in, in a final third of a pitch. Okay, perfect. Tell us about what your big three in life is. We've touched on your identity as an individual, mm. but if there are three things that are important to you at present day, what are they? Something that I probably learned a bit quicker than others because of my experience is the importance of family. Family is so vitally important because friends can come and go, agents can come and go, clubs can come and go, um, doctors can come and go, whether it's physios, but your family are there, you know, through thick and thin. And I was very lucky that I had a very supportive family. Um, you know, parents who put me through private education, parents who were able to provide that. Um, solid foundation at home whereby I knew I was able to go to the UK and I would have that support behind me and you know they would always be quietly in the background supporting me and that's not just my parents that's my brothers as well and I would like to to go forward I want to have a family of my own and I want to create that foundation that I was given as, as a young lad I want to do that and um, I also want to give back you know, I was very fortunate to have really good coaches around me and coaching is something that I enjoy doing and I enjoy helping people, like I said, whether that's professionally or personally, and to help people, one, get to where they, they can in life and two, overcome setbacks because I, I know what it was like to be in a rut at times and if I could help people come out of that, well, then that would be really important for me. So helping people and, and being able to provide a foundation like my family did for me would be would be really important for me going forward and then professionally I don't think you ever lose that drive I want to be extremely successful in business I would consider myself mildly successful in sport it's only now when I look back and I think okay I played a lot of underage football internationally I played in the League of Ireland yes I didn't get as many games as I want to in England but I played in every league outside of the Premier League I played in the FA Cup I played in the League Cup and it's only now that I look back and say well that's not too bad you know, I was really driven to succeed and, and play at a higher level and play more games. But that drive I wanted then take into into my my new life and within in corporate and you know I want to be financially successful. I want to be um, professionally successful. I want to get up to the upper echelons of a of a big organization. That's the type of work that I want to do. Not too bad is putting it mildly for for most of us. <laughs> And last two ones from me. Mm. Uh, we got Sean Russell's answers to these, so oh, I'm uh, interested in your uh, answers good, now. Good. I was going to say. <laughs> Number one, it's the World Cup final, penalty shootout. Where are you putting the ball? And then number two, your five-a-side team that you're the coach of. Dream five-a-side. So. Yeah. 
I always went bottom left with penalties. Right. I always went, and I now look at lefties. I think I think lefties should not be allowed to take penalties. There's something about left foot is taking them. They make it so blatantly obvious where they're going. But that was my go-to with penalties. Dream five aside. Uh, I'm a massive Chelsea fan. I mean, diehard Chelsea fan. I'm probably the best piece of me- best piece of memorabilia I have is a Frank Lampard shirt that I swapped after the FA Cup game against Man City. It's just the wrong shade of blue. Yeah. Um, John Terry, Eden Hazard, Lionel Messi, uh, Sergio Busquets, Ooh. and. Just Edison because he plays out from the back. <laughs> right. We'll take that. Good fight, isn't it? Who's your captain? John Terry. John Terry all day long. Paul, you're a man that pays it forward, yeah? Mm-hmm. You're you've been a hugely successful person and professional throughout a very story career so far. You're someone that holds value really close to heart. And we can see that today you've somebody that's trying to bring a culture of excellence to wherever you touch, and we've seen We've seen that, you know, you're working with McNulty, you're working in RTE, you're someone that's always trying to bring the absolute best. You're driven, you're talented, extremely successful so far, and you can definitely look back in your career and be proud as a footballer, because I remember saying at the time when I first saw you played, that's the best left foot I've ever seen. <laughs> so we're both wishing you all the best going forward, and I hope this isn't the last time we meet. Well, thank you, Colin. Thank you, Dave. Cheers. Thanks, Walter.